The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, good afternoon, everyone on the East Coast, and good morning to everyone on the West Coast. I'm Patricia Raskin for Patricia Raskin Positive Living right here on VoiceAmerica.com. And today we're talking about a very important topic um, with two people who've done many, many years of research and are really, um, I, I will use the word icon, but I would say that they're experts in the field of conflict resolution, of relationship, of healing trauma, and their names are Janae and Barry Weinhold. They are devoted partners, parents of four children between them, grandparents of three, lifelong teachers, cosmologists, developmental psychologists, and licensed mental health professionals. And they have developed um, many, many topics, but they have developed the developmental systems theory, developmental process work, and the partnership way of resolving conflict. Their discovery of developmental trauma and its impact on the evolution of individuals and couples and families worldwide has really helped them understanding to unlock these systems. And in 1987, they co-founded their nonprofit tax-exempt institute, now the Carolina Institute for Conflict Resolution Creative Leadership, where they uh, do a lot of workshops, they, and they have developed a brand-new book, along with many of their other books, which is called Healing Developmental Trauma, a Systems Approach to Counseling Individuals, Couples, and Families. Welcome, Janae and Barry. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I mean, I could go on longer, but then we'd spend the whole interview talking about everything you've done. <laughs> well, you're very, very kind in your. your well, involvement. you know, it's um, you've done an awful lot, and one of the things that I think you've looked at in a very deep way is what are those early traumas? What are those things that affect us so that when we have addictive behavior, whether it's sex addiction, love addiction, whether it's, you know, um, just not being, whether it's codependence, and I know you wrote a book on on counter-dependence, you know, whatever that issue is, it stems from that root. And you've been very effective at looking at what is the system when you go back to the system, you're not just putting a Band-Aid. It's like we're not just giving you a drug or medication. We're looking at what's the cause of it. How did you come up with this system? Because it's very complex to go all the way back and then to try to unravel those pieces, which are sometimes so embedded in us. Yeah, it, it has been a complex uh, journey, but it all started uh, really in our own relationship. I mean, we talk about how... Everything we've developed came out of our what we call our laboratory, which is our own relationship. Mm. We feel like if we can make it work for us, then we have a legitimate right to talk about it with other people. 
But if we can't make it work for us, we don't want to go any further with it and try to convince other people of something that doesn't work for us. Most of what we discovered was in, came out of our own effort to have deeper and deeper intimacy. And uh, it seemed like the deeper that things got, the more that these early traumas and uh, our wounds surfaced. So we began to see that the really foundational experiences that we had in our own lives were really what was surfacing to be healed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in your book, which is really, it's very much like a textbook in a lot of ways. I mean, it it really looks at the whole process. I mean, what happens in, what happens in codependence and counterdependence? How does codependence and counterdependence work in this? Is this part of the symptom, or is it where where is that in all of this? Well, we really discovered that there's two primary kinds of early trauma, and I'll talk about one, and Barry can talk about the other. But during the codependent stage of development, which is from zero to about nine, eight or nine months, the whole process of life experiencing is about the child connecting with the parents, particularly with the mother. Mm. And if there is any disruption or disturbance or some kind of um, uh, incompleteness about that, mm-hmm. then people are left with symptoms of codependency. So it's a behavioral thing, but it, it's all about something being disrupted and not complete. And mm. so when we see this codependent behavior, it just is a sign that there was some kind of a trauma or shock that got mm-hmm. uh, that the person... And if, in, and if you would, Barry or Janae, when you say codependent, you mean that you then um, live through the other person or for the other person or can't really... Um, be your own independent person? Define that, please. It's really that there is still a lack of discrimination between what's me and what's not me. Normally, the child goes through this experience of deep fusion of connection with uh, mostly with a mother, and if that connection gets completed, then the child is able to move into separation. Mm. So if it doesn't, then you have what you were just describing, Patricia. We have these behavioral signs, which is living through other people, um, caretaking, people-pleasing. That whole syndrome is really this incompleteness from this very early stage of development. Meaning, oh, okay, so meaning that you didn't get your needs met, you didn't have that fusion, or you weren't cared for. In, in that way. You didn't bond, so you're continually looking for that. Is, is that correct? That's right. Right. Uh-huh. right. Yeah. The, what happens, I think, is that most parents uh, didn't have that experience themselves growing up. And so when they try to um, bond with their child, they don't have the skills or the understanding of how to do that effectively. And so the, the whole bonding process is left a bit incomplete. And so obviously anything that's left incomplete early on will recycle in our adult relationships. And so we will look to complete that in our adult relationships. So there's something functional about it. I mean, people talk about codependency as being dysfunctional. No, we don't think of it that way. We think of it as a very functional kind of, and particularly when it shows up in their their relationships, their adult relationships. It's our innate attempt to heal ourselves and to heal and complete a mm-hmm. process that didn't get completed early in our life. Not, for, not because it's somebody's fault, but just that 
people didn't have the skills or the understanding to help you um, complete that. And where does that then, from there, Janae and Barry, where does that go into love addiction, sex addiction, relationship addiction, um, codependence? Where does, where does it go? Where does it then progress? So you're saying how does it lead from that into yes, all these adult yes, kinds yes, of behaviors? Well, everything that you just described, Patricia, involves something about this experience or this desire for fusion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's it's. But the problem is that these addictive behaviors that people play out in their adulthood, they don't fix what got broken back as a child. It's like you can't fix it in the here and now. You have to fix it in the place where it happened, which is in that part that was wounded as a baby. And how do you go about doing that? Well, uh, (laughs) the first step, it's interesting, if you look at the whole addictions uh, literature and everything, you see that there is a common thread that runs through all addictions, that all addictions are an attempt to uh, either numb ourselves or, or avoid some kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. And so the first step is to help people get more in touch with the feelings that they have about what happened to them as a child. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that means doing some personal archaeology, going back and finding out what really did happen. Because a lot of the the things that we would call now trauma aren't always terribly awful, uh, abusive things that happen. They're kind of day-to-day things that where parents just didn't know how to connect with their child, or uh, if they disconnected, they didn't know how to reconnect. So they're, they're just very simple kind of things. And so once you get people in touch with the feelings, then they can begin to uh, you know, connect the dots with what's going on in their present relationships and, and begin to find some ways. And we teach our, when we work with couples, we teach them how to reconnect. But what happens, Barry and Janae, when you get that kind of oxytocin or endorphin high from whatever that behavior is that's destructive, whether it's the love, the sex, the drink, the drug, you know, and so you, that high gives you that burst of high. How do you, um, you know, get through that? Because once you start feeling the feelings, then you've got to really deal with that pain, and then you've got to stay away from what's giving you the high. Well, the high is really an artificial high, and, and it's like it takes more and more of what it is that doesn't work <laughs> to, to, to keep getting the high. And it's that attempt to get high that people use sort of as a defense against feeling whatever that pain is. And uh, it's, you know, the addiction cycle has to yeah. kind of run its course that when people realize they can't keep doing what they're doing because it's so destructive, then they're really forced to confront whatever the pain is that they've been running from. And unfortunately, um, I, I'm a bit critical of the whole uh, recovery movement because a lot of the recovery groups, uh, the AA groups and the SA groups and all the other um, recovery 12-step groups, don't really help people do feeling work. And, I mean, Bradshaw, John Bradshaw once said to the audience that we were there, and he said, these groups just aren't set up to help people do, to, to work through their feelings. So it, it's unfortunate. Now, there are some, I think, I think we, that whole movement is evolving, and there are now some new forms of, of, of recovery groups that, 
that are really giving people the space to really uh, work through those feelings, and that, that's an yeah. encouraging move. Yeah, I think that's a good point because, you know, many times when you are in those kinds of groups and they'll say, no contact, no this, no that, it's right. still not solving. You may, you may stay away from it, but it, like as you said, until you deal with what that deep feeling is, it's just going to make you want it even more. Abstinence does not necessarily heal the, the, the underlying trauma. Very interesting. That's a very good point. We're going to take a break on that. Um, when we come back, my guests are experts on relationship and healing trauma and conflict within relationship. My guests are Janae Weinhold and Barry Weinhold. Their brand-new book is Healing Developmental Trauma, a systems approach to counseling individuals, couples, and families, and you can log on to their website, and their website is weinholds.org, W-E-I-N-H-O-L-D-S dot org. Stay tuned. You're listening to Patricia Raskin Positive Living right here on voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to get freed up? Join Dr. Jennifer Freed, one of America's leading psychological thinkers, for a groundbreaking program with fascinating guests and full participation from you. Freed Up will explore topics like liberation in long-term relationships, parenting in the 21st century, comfort in stressful times, and much more. Tune in to Freed Up every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and wake up to the heartbeat of your life. Wielding power, shaping environments and outcomes, and making things happen are all essential characteristics of great leaders. Yet these qualities alone are not enough to ensure your success. In a complex world, how do you decide what's most important to you? In your career, your relationships, your finances, your family, in the world around you, in the whole of your life at large. Dr. Joseph Riggio, the host of Leadership Intuition, says that personal leadership, the desire to take charge of your life, is the key to creating futures that work and building a life worth living. Join Joseph as he reveals the power of uncovering and living your own personal mythology, the key to personal transformation, exquisite performance, and social influence. Learn to look inside and discover your personal mythology and unique leadership style. Go beyond conventional advice and discover your unique success blueprint on Leadership Intuitions with Dr. Joseph Riggio each Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Leadership Intuitions, power, achievement, relationships. If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Hi, everyone. We are back. You are listening to Patricia Raskin Positive Living right here on VoiceAmerica.com. And I have two amazing people on the program, a husband and wife team. My guests are Janae and Barry Weinhold. 
and they have the brand-new groundbreaking book, which is drawn from 25 years of research about the impact of early trauma on human evolution, which differentiates among shock, trauma, and stress, and identifies state-specific interventions for each one. And uh, you can log on to weinholds.org, W-E-I-N-H-O-L-D-S.org, and they've been doing this work for many, many years, and uh, I welcome them back. Welcome back, Janae and Barry. Thanks, Okay, let's talk about, um, we hear so much about codependence, but you wrote an entire book on counterdependence. So please right. define that. Yeah, well, counterdependence is a stage of development that follows the earliest uh, stage that Janae talked about, the codependent stage, which is zero, whatever you define as zero, to about nine months. But then from about nine months to about age three, developmentally, the child, uh, in the first stage, they're involved in bonding. and the second stage, they're involved in separating from the bonding and becoming a fully individuated person. Hmm. And this is probably the most important stage of development. Uh, But however, if you haven't done uh, enough completion work in the codependent stage, it becomes harder than to complete that second stage. And in in separating, uh, uh, then the the parents have to become not necessarily the parent of of, uh, bonding, but the parent of separation. They now have to learn how to help the child navigate his or her environment safely and effectively without hovering too uh, closely and taking away initiative from the child or putting in too many limits, as, as many parents often do. They, they get afraid that their, their own safety parent may not be adequate enough to help their own child uh, operate safely. And so they start to then impose limits. And how those limits are set, if they're, they're set with guilt and shame, uh, or that, physical punishment. Or physical punishment mm. that can leave, uh, lead, leave that child with trauma. And then in their adult relationships, that gets acted out as attempts to avoid closeness because every time they were close, then mm-hmm. they were subjected Is to some kind of Is that sometimes called um, emotional anorexia? Yeah, I've heard that term. Uh-huh. You know, where, where you're still fixated, but you're not, you're not acting on it. So you're mm-hmm. depriving yourself, almost like a food deprivation. Right. Uh-huh. Is that counterdependence or not really? It's in our culture very effectively because it, you know, we really live in a counterdependent culture. Hmm. Counterdependent behaviors, uh, looking good, not ever making any uh, um, um, you know, evidence that you're, there's anything wrong with you, right. and there's always, always kind of uh, being busy, doing a lot of things. And everything looks good. Everything has to look good. Mm-hmm. That's counterdependency often. And, and we wrote a book called The Flight from Intimacy, mm-hmm. which describes how this whole syndrome permeates our country and our culture, and, and, and it looks very normal. Yeah, and, and, and I've seen a lot of that. And, and I know, excuse me, you see that in relationships where, you know, a couple may stay married for many, many years, and everything looks beautiful. The children, the grandchildren, the pictures on the wall. There's no emotional intimacy, and there's right. probably, you know, infidelity, but it all, in, in, if you look at it societally, it's, right. oh, aren't they? I mean, look at this. It's just beautiful. Yeah. They've got yeah, perfect they've been, kids. Their kids are professional. Yeah, it's a lot about them. image, about an image that, the, you know, the family or the couple, you know, are trying to project. 
Right. And it, and it's all about the, those unhealed wounds that uh, happened while the child was separating during the counterdependent stage of development. That's why we call it counterdependency. Mm-hmm. And and again, we don't see it as a disease or anything wrong. We see it as um, you know just incomplete developmental mm-hmm. needs and tasks. And so, so those so will then show Barry, up in the adult relationships. What happens in that, in those families, where that picture-perfect stays and it's dysfunctional? I mean, if that's the norm, what are we looking at? Are we looking at people that can't be intimate? Are we looking, I mean, what are we, what is that doing, I guess is the question. Uh, you mean how is it getting played out in, in culturally? Yes, and yes. Well, I mean, what we have are a lot of kids that are expected to be super achievers. They're not not just academically, but so many kids are enrolled in so many things where there's all this emphasis on performance, and the children are expected, you know, to make the family look good if something yes. happens, and the children don't make the family look good, and it's like this this kind of catastrophe. Mm-hmm. So it's really a using of the children. It's not about following their needs and trying to find out, you know, the activities that are appropriate for them and staying kind of in the rhythm of the child. It's much Mm -hmm. more about this performance so that the whole family will look good. I mean, I can best describe it in one woman who was an adult client of mine who said, you know, I've done all the things right. I have my uh, this beautiful house, a wonderful husband, a new car, and... and, uh, Every, my life is just perfect, but inside I feel empty. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. all externalized. You know, er, everything about their life was what what it was going to look like <laughs> outside, and then there was nothing inside. Mm-hmm. No, con- no connection with what was inside. And some people live out their whole lives that way. Yeah, and yeah, you know, especially in this country. Mm. And it's you know, and then I guess the question is, when does it when does it catch up, and what what can we do because we're dealing with this and pervasiveness. So, what would you say about that? What you know, in your workshops and in the work that you do, what do you say to people to help them start to heal this trauma? Well, often people come after they have kind of lived out the cultural script. They've, they've, you know, done it by the book. And as Barry said, you know, they get to this point, and it's often midlife, where they realize, I'm doing all these things that are supposed to make you happy, but they're, I don't feel happy. In fact, I feel really empty and, and sad mm-hmm. and kind of unfulfilled in mm-hmm. some way, even though I have, you know, I've checked off all the boxes for success. Mm-hmm. So I think there is a period of kind of an inner soul searching, and we see it begin with people sometimes around in their late 30s, but that whole um, uh, generation, not the, the, that whole 10 years between 39 or 40 and 50, there seems to be a lot of people who uh, do a lot of inner examination about why am I doing what I'm doing and is it fulfilling me and if I could do something else, what would I be mm-hmm. doing? Mm-hmm. And there, so it's, and that's often when people seek out therapy because they feel like there must be something wrong with them that they've done all these things right and they don't feel good about themselves. They don't feel good about who they are and how they're, you know, they're living their lives. They feel sort of uh, hypocritical and, you know, like they're frauds. Mm-hmm. And so that that's kind of this existential crisis that people then begin to try to figure out what's wrong with me that I don't, that I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. And so that's when we start to do this kind of 
archaeology to look at, well, what was your childhood like? You know, what were the first three years of your life like, particularly how soon were you put in child care? Were you a wanted child? Looking at this whole context of very early relational experiences that somehow have left holes in people's psyches and and, and kind of, you know, like their souls feel empty. And... You know, I, I think the other question about that is, and, and I've asked this often, is that there are people then who live that shallow life and never look at it, Janae and Barry. You know, they right. just, on the surface, they, now they may get sick, they may have, you know, issues, but they don't look at it. And so I guess my question is, for, for all of us, we look at it because it bothers us. We feel empty inside. We want to make a difference in our lives and in other people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that the people that don't look at it, that just kind of go along and live those shallow lives, are, and this is a fun, an interesting question, are they in some way maybe luckier? Because they're not examining. They're not looking. Well, yeah, sometimes I think that way. I think, gee, it would be nice to be un, uh, unaware of all yes. this. <laughs> but you know what happens, Patricia, is what, uh, what happens is they get sick. And they are they are prone to get degenerative conditions, such mm. as cancer and diabetes and arthritis, arthritis and and that and, and unfortunately our our current medical system doesn't connect the dots and help them see that it's because of these early traumas that they're now sick. Mm. But that's what and where people end up often is that they they may have you know seemingly escaped having to look at what's, what's been going on all their life, but it catches up with them physically. Right, because you can only hold this pain inside for so long before it starts to have a, an effect on the physical body. On, in our book, we describe uh, what uh, uh, a physician, American physician by the name of Douglas Brody, uh, independently discovered he he discovered something called a cancer personality profile. Really? Let me just read you some of what he says here. That's fascinating. Being, being conscientious, dutiful, overly responsible, and hardworking, uh, a strong tendency to carry the burden of others and worry excessively about others, sometimes our own children, uh, people pleasers who try to make others happy, uh, a tremendous need for approval and acceptance, a history of a lack of emotional closeness with one or both parents, a tendency to harbor long, suppressed, toxic emotions and difficulty with expressing them, mm-hmm. and then adverse reactions to any developmental shock trauma, typically mm-hmm. in any especially tra- uh, stressful event beyond the individual's ability to predict or control what happens to them. And then finally, an inability to resolve deep-seated emotional problems anchored in childhood that have been a war, oh, uh, often they're totally unaware of these. Yeah. Does this sound like anything you've ever heard of before, Patricia? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's right on the money, but sometimes they don't get the cancer till later. You know, sometimes it, it catches up right. later. The, the point is that the, people don't escape this. You either confront it directly or it confronts you indirectly. And in our book, we connect the mind-body uh, uh, effects of, of uh, And you know what's interesting, Janae and Barry? I'm hearing more and more. I mean, every time I turn around, someone is telling me that someone just got sick. 
they got cancer yeah. or diabetes. I mean, I'm, it's right. just you hear it all the time, out of the blue. Right. And right. it's interesting, somehow that, and I'd love you to address this, that's somehow acceptable in our culture. I mean, like if, if, if I came to you and said, you know, God forbid, oh, God forbid, I'm saying right now on the show, you know, if I had cancer or if I had, you know, yeah. some, some disease, um, right. and I said that to you, I could tell that to anybody and they would go, oh, I understand. But if I went up to someone and said, you know, I'm, I'm you know, a drug addict or a sex addict or a love addict, yeah. I would be shunned. Or sure. I, I have yeah. to take Prozac or, you know, I'm bipolar. It, it mm-hmm. seems to be more socially accepted to have that kind of illness. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, not any more fun, I'll tell you, <laughs> no. to get cancer. But, but yes, I agree. And, and also you get secondary gain because you get some sympathy from other people. Where if you, if you re- said you're a sex addict. And you don't have to look at yourself, you see. No. Right. And that you don't right. have to look right. at yourself. Whereas in, in when you have something else, whether it's in, then you have to look at your own behavior. It's interesting. And our medical current medical system will uh, reinforce all that. They'll just give you either some kind of drug or they'll give you some kind of surgery and and they'll try to take it away from you. I think there's another piece in here too and that is that so many people don't realize that they have the power to change these kinds of things that there's sort of an inevitability about it that people just can become resigned to. So uh, it's like there's a kind of victim thinking in all of that, that you're the victim of cancer, you were the victim as a child, and it's that whole victim mindset that kind of keeps people trapped, both emotionally and physically, you know, when these illnesses come. Mm -hmm. All right, well, let's see. We We have a couple of minutes. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we are talking to Janae and Barry Weinhold, co-authors of Healing Developmental Trauma. You're listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, right here on voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are, or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have on nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers 
listeners together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Hi, everyone. We are back. You are listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, right here on VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice. And my guests today are Janae and Barry Weinhold. They are co-authors of Healing Developmental Trauma, a systems approach to counseling individuals and couples and families. And I want to I want to discuss for a minute as soon as I find it um, your bio and the work that you have done. Um, your book, Healing Developmental Trauma, a systematic approach to counseling individuals, couples and families, has just been released by Love Publishing in Denver, Colorado. This groundbreaking book group is the product of twenty five years of research by doctors Janae and Barry Weinhold, mental health practitioners and former faculty members at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. And you can purchase the book and you can look at the table of contents by going to Weinholds.org, W-E-I-N-H-O-L-D-S dot org. Oh, welcome back, Barry and Janae. Thanks, um, thank you. One of the things that you talk about in your process is the whole difference between shock and trauma and stress. Please right. differentiate those. Well, um, they're partly developmental experiences. Uh, for example, um, babies uh, who still don't have the brain and the nervous system completely wired up, when something disruptive happens to them, they go straight into shock. And you can tell a person's in shock because they often have that deer-in-the-headlights look mm-hmm. and people don't have the capacity to speak. They look sort of helpless and... Um, they uh, often uh, have this sense of not being in their body. They often go through a dissociation. And when people are in that kind of state, there's not very much that you can do to them because talking doesn't help, problem-solving doesn't help. They often aren't expressing any emotions. They look like they're really drawn in. And Mm. when, when that happens, people just need comforting. Often, if it can be physical comforting, that's the best. So that's what you do with babies. You rock them, you sing to them, you know, mm-hmm. but you don't try to explain things to them. You don't give, you know, you don't use language. But then that's different uh, when people are in a trauma state because at that point they're in their bodies, but they may be extremely emotional. Uh, they may be hypervigilant. They may be feeling overwhelmed. Uh, and often they have some disturbance in their awareness. They can't tell if they're in the past or they're in the present. They're feeling something from the past, but they think they're in present time, so there's this confusion about past and present. 
And uh, those people then need very specific tools. This is what the EMDR and some of the tapping things, those help people whenever they're in a trauma state, and they're developed very specifically for people who are in trauma. But, you know, those tools don't work well for people who are in shock. So it's really important from, you know, if you're being treated or if you're the therapist to know which set of tools to use. Now, what we discovered as we were sorting through all of this is that most of the tools that people learn, because we were taught counselors and trained counselors for so long, is that most of the good clinical tools are really uh, useful for people who are in stress. These are people who might be anxious, or but they're still they're not overly emotional. They're able to problem solve, and they're definitely in their bodies. So. That's where the really good counseling happens. But when people are in trauma or in shock, you don't use those counseling tools. You use either trauma reduction tools or you do the kinds of comforting that people need when they're in shock. So being able to see the difference between these three states and to know that each involves a different part of the brain, a different part of the autonomic nervous system, and therefore they require very different kinds of intervention tools. Hmm. So if someone's in trauma, what's the difference between what you would do for shock? I know in shock you said you would hold them and comfort them, but if they're in trauma, what do you do? Well, these are the, we're, we personally use uh, something that we call the trauma reduction tool, but the tapping, the emotional freedom techniques, yes. the EMDR, all those tools work for people who are in a trauma state. They, uh-huh. they, they, are, they work with the limbic brain, they work with the, par- the uh, sympathetic nervous system, and uh, they're very effective because those tools help clear the memory or the trauma uh, and to get people so they're not de-escalated, so they can move them into, you know, their, into stress, and you can begin to use these problem-solving, you know, things, and, and you can begin to ha- use the cognitive brain. But when people are in trauma, their cognitive brain's not turned on. They're just feeling real emotional. Mm-hmm. Well, that we found that there are really seven different uh, sets of tools that need to be used when dealing with uh, particularly with, with uh, trauma. Uh, first one is kind of, there, there's a memory distortion. Uh, we don't remember things clearly. And uh, then there's also uh, a, 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 a mind-body memory that has to be cleared. And that's where a lot of the EMDR and other th- other tools, emotional freedom technique, you know, that have, have been used. So we've actually de- developed a whole set of tools under each one of these uh, then there's a, a set of tools for changing uh, distorted thinking and beliefs. In other words, when a trauma happens uh, early on, there's some kind of misperception uh, of what the situation is all about. Mm-hmm. And then finally, that the, the fourth one is the re-regulation of emotions. And then the fifth one is healing. There's sort of sometimes internal splits and people who were dissociated or something have to reclaim whatever they dissociated from. Mm-hmm. And finally, the, uh, the sixth one is the healing the splits in the relationships that happened. Uh, and then finally, there's, an, there's also a, 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 a tools for modifying any distortions that are in the self-other relational dynamics. So there's a whole set of, uh, and in our, in our book, we kind of show whether which tools to use for which parts of these uh, processes. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and there was one that you were just talking about was trauma um, in terms of helping people rethink. I, I forgot mm-hmm. what it was. It was the second or third one. Yeah, re- rethink what happened to them. And, They're distorted and thinking. Distorting and, mm-hmm. and, and try to help them straighten out that thinking or whatever beliefs they had about themselves, the other person, or the world. And you do that through talking, or you have a specific yeah, set of tools? Yeah, that's talking therapy, yeah, often. Talking therapy. All right, we have three minutes left, so let's talk about stress. Okay. And the difference. Well, everybody's in stress these days. Yeah. <laughs> so when people are in a stress state, they're, 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 they're not dissociated, uh, they're not emotionally overwhelmed, but they're more agitated. And so in that agitated state, they tend they can still do problem solving. And so it's really more about trying, trying to quiet the nervous system. And these are the mindfulness training, you know, that comes with, the, you know, the Buddhist approaches, uh, meditation. Uh, there's lots of different energy work, Reiki, um, uh, the one they use in the hospitals. Uh, uh, touch for health. Touch for health. All those things that quiet the nervous system. Are, are really helpful because when the body is producing a lot of cortisol, and as soon as we're in a stress state, we have cortisol running through our body, and, and our bodies are not designed for a long-term exposure to cortisol. And, and uh, uh, You said that in your book, and you also said that that can be very damaging, that if you have too much of that going through or too much stress all the time, well, you know, if it's going on, you know, chronically, yeah. chronically, I really believe it's one of the biggest causes of women's, uh, you know, PMS, because that affects the whole organ system when you have this chronic high levels of cortisol in the body. So anything that people can do to reduce the cortisol in their in their bodies, I mean, it takes a lot of relaxation. It can be done through music. It can be done in the evenings through you know, long soaking bath, but the nervous system just needs to be able to unwind. Actually, right. people don't even know that they, I mean, most people are live a kind of a adrenalized life. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're anxious most of the time, but they don't realize that. They think that's normal. Well, and some of that, then, they, then, the, then the epinephrine and the, it becomes um, a high. Yeah. Well, it's addictive, you know. They found that the... The ad- adrenal hormones are some of the most addictive that there yeah. there are, even yeah. more than uh, yes. cocaine yeah. and and speed yeah, and some of the other you know so called upper drugs that w- I, pretty much everybody in this country we think is addicted to adrenaline. Yeah. Well, I you know I wish you could go on. We'll have to have you both come back. I've really appreciated you being on. Stay on oh, the line, you. my guest. Well, guess we always love talking with you, Patricia, thank and you. you're such a, a lot of. Uh, very interesting interviewer, and, and I love the questions you ask. And we always know you're working on yourself. <laughs> always, always. Oh, I'm learning great. as I'm as I'm listening to you. I'm learning. I'm learning, <laughs> and it's it's really wonderful. And well, again, it's good to see when someone like you take your own life journey and turn it into something that helps other people. Well, thank you. That's that's my goal. That's my goal is to be the pollinator and to be able to take this information and translate it so that many people can get it. And, folks, um, I've worked with lots of people in this field, and I would really, really suggest Janae and Barry's work. So do log on to their website, which is uh, wineholds.org, W-E-I-N-H-O-L-D-S.org. 
And uh, again, thank you so much, Janine and Barry. Their book is Healing Developmental Trauma, a Systems Approach to Counseling Individuals, Couples, and Families. Okay, folks, remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 